0: Hey, folks, welcome back to the MedTech Talk podcast. Our guest this week is John Norris, the managing director at Silicon Valley Bank, who delivers an annual report on the state of healthcare financing, specifically life sciences. And uh, we talked with John today about that report what he saw in 2017, what he expects to see in 2018. He has some some good news in here. He uh, predicts some positive trends for Medtech, so this podcast is definitely worth a listen. Plus we'll also find out how he came to be the data guru that he is. And of course, we'll have John at our Medtech conference which is just happening on May 31st in Minneapolis. So we hope you will join us there. If you know you're going already and I hope you do. I would suggest strongly that you uh, register before January thirty first. If you do register before January thirty first, you will pay under thousand dollars, nine hundred ninety five dollars, to attend the MedTech conference. It's uh, it's going to be a lot more than that once is all is said once all is said and done. So uh, I suggest you act on it now. Our co chairs, Enzing Enzengseng and Leslie Trigg, have been working feverishly to uh, get the agenda together. We'll start sending that out shortly. We'll start uh, telling you some of the topics we'll be talking about and and putting updates up on our website, medtechconference.com. So it's all coming together. You should be there and you should save yourself a boatload of dough, 500 bucks, if you register before January 31st. So we hope to uh, see you in Minneapolis and I hope you'll register before January 31st. Now let's get into this conversation with John Norris of Silicon Valley Bank. John Norris, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Tom. Great to be on again.
0: So you've, you've got your annual report out, the trends in healthcare investments and exits in 2018, which, of course, we'll look back over 2017 and, and some previous years. And I want to get into the high points of that. Uh, as I mentioned in the intro, we'll, we'll make the link available to uh, podcast listeners so they can go through it themselves. It's an exhaustive report, and uh, I wouldn't want to go through every item of interest in here because there's too many to cover in a 30-minute podcast. Before I get into the uh, into the report, though, I want to find out a little bit more about John Norris. You've been uh, gracious enough to attend some of our events, including our ophthalmology event and our med tech conferences. So we've talked a bit, but I've never really understood how you found your way here to uh, Silicon Valley Bank and how you you got this position as sort of like the the, the data guru of the healthcare world because everyone sort of does, everyone definitely does follow your uh, follow your reports and look forward to your presentations at uh, at these various conferences. What uh, what led you to healthcare?
1: Yeah, no, thanks, I appreciate it, and I, and I love love participating in the conferences. They're great, and I look forward to that every year. Uh, yeah, I had a little bit of a circuitous route uh, to get to doing what I do now. I actually um, was a litigation attorney for three and a half years, focusing on nothing related to healthcare, but decided that I was just that was just not what was really interesting to me. It was very acrimonious, not a lot of win-win. And so you know I was informational interviewing around to try and figure out a way of out of law. And I got into uh, talking to some banks that were really working with you know new innovative companies. And the idea was you're going and interacting with CEOs and cFOs of of new startup companies. You're hearing a pitch. You're talking to the investors and doing some due diligence and then you're you're working with them, you know, be it with banking or debt, and you continue to follow and sort of be an advisor to these companies as they grow up. And it sounded like, you know, a fantastic opportunity. You know, the one catch when I joined was the only opening was in healthcare. And I had zero, zero experience in healthcare. And, you know, but I really liked the person that was running the group, uh, Kathy Conti at the time, and she became just a fantastic mentor to me. Uh, We got along and and sort of, you know, where where and how I got there was, you know, she said, you know, you're just going to come to every meeting that I go on, every talk, every discussion with a CEO, every meeting with an investor, and, you know, you're going to help me take notes. And then at some point, you're going to sort of figure out what's going on and you'll be able to ask questions. And, and that's exactly what happened. So it took, you know, six months to a year to really get my feet ingrained and really started out in the medical device uh, side, whereas like companies like Radiant Medical and Emphasis Medical and um, Evalve, a bunch of the, the foundry companies and really sort of got my sense of who the folks were that were doing this and understood that, you know, it was very much a serial entrepreneur game, as well as uh, uh, investors that were sticking around for a while. So it really helped me sort of cut my teeth on what was going on in the industry. And, you know, sort of fast forward to to Silicon Valley Bank where i have been here now, you know, 11, uh, 12 years. And really, you know, the focus is one on interacting with the VCs on a daily basis and understanding sort of how they're putting their their thesis together, what they're investing in and finding ways to help, you know, early stage companies that are pre-funded as well as the companies that have venture funding, you know, all the way up through public companies that have, you know, hundreds of millions in revenue. Um, and our idea is like, you know, we're innovative. We look to, to value add to those companies. But, you know, it, the, the, the part that I love the best is, you know, one, talking to investors and also talking to, to CEOs about how they're running their companies. And a few years ago, actually about eight years ago, you know, I realized that the data that was being put out, um, on a yearly basis was, you know, fairly generic for healthcare. They would say, okay, you know, there were 200 m as this year, and the average M&A transaction was 500 million. Like, okay, that doesn't really tell me anything. Um, and it was like bundling all the sectors together, including the million, the billion-dollar mega mergers in the public market, with you know, the one million-dollar asset sales uh, for, for small companies that didn't make it, and it just wasn't very instructive. And so I sort of thought about asking the question, well, what if you could figure out a way of just monitoring the venture-backed industry in the healthcare space and provide some targeted information that helps people understand, you know, the direction of the industry? And so that's really how the paper was born. Um, again, no healthcare experience, but, you know, I've talked, spoken to thousands of companies now in my in my career, and you really get a sense for, you know, what are the what are the questions that you need to ask to understand what what companies are doing? And you know again on the scientific uh, you know mechanism of action on the biotech side, you know of course I, I don't have the the background to really understand that, but I certainly understand you know what an, what a company needs to do to be successful and and try and offer advice on that as well as like look at the trends and and help inform both CEOs and C level folks as well as the investors as to what does the forest of healthcare look like specifically within their sectors. And they're so focused on, yeah, what I call their own trees, which is, you know, key level folks focusing on their own companies, investors focusing on their portfolio or their new investments, that sometimes you sort of miss out on what the forest looks like and what are the trends that are developing. And so that's kind of how I think about the paper is, you know, we do get into a lot of detail, but, you know, it's a level of detail that gives you a sense for what's going on in the industry. And you can look at that and say, okay, this area specifically is interesting. I need to deep dive in that and see how it affects you know, my investment thesis or, or where my company's direction is. So that's sort of how I got to where I am now. It's been a super fun ride. And I, you know, I love doing this and it's, you know, we're constantly trying to innovate and figure out, you know, what are the trends that are emerging so that we can, you know, in essence be good partners to all the, all the companies and all the investors that we interact with, because if we can add value that way, it certainly gets paid back uh, in a multiple on on new companies that we work with and debt deals, et cetera.
0: I'm just curious: was there a uh, path not taken? Did you uh, were you considering another another direction before taking this this leap into healthcare?
1: Yeah, um, there was there was an offer on the table doing uh, printed circuit board sales. Um, that was that was an option that I, I decided not to engage with, and and frankly, there was. There was also an opening uh, on the tech side, and and you know when I actually got started with the first bank I worked with, um, we actually I did a, a bunch of work on the tech side as well as healthcare because that was in '99. Oh the, sure. You know there was the explosion of the of the of of investments and IPOs on the tech side, and it was really intriguing. But frankly, you know I, when I looked at at the interactions I had on the people side, I really liked the healthcare side. It just felt like. You know, it was, you know, doing well by doing good, just a little bit more of an interaction and a, and, and a little bit more of uh, of of, a, of an interest in having sort of deep discussions. And I just I just sort of gravitated to that. So, yeah, there were some roads not taken, but um, you know, certainly the, the legal background has been helpful to me as I sort of do my job. But and I haven't sort of left that behind totally. But yeah, the, the healthcare sector is just so intriguing and fun that it's it's been a really nice ride for me.
0: That's fascinating. Yeah, that's exactly my path as well. I, I started covering the industry in the late '90s, and uh, my colleagues were all covering this dot com and that dot com, and I just never really saw the point of any of that. So I'm very happy with my choice as well. So tell us what goes into putting together this report and and these reports. What, how much, how much of of your time is spent? The data collection and, and and compiling these reports and and putting them together. And what is the process you use to to collect the data that you're uh, that you do put into the reports?
1: Yeah, um, thanks. It's 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 a lot of work, obviously, and um, we have we have a very small team that we put together. And you know, on the investment side, we really leverage uh, pitch book data, and I think that that data really um, is is the best data that I I've seen out there in terms of how comprehensive it is. Um, what's unique about it is we'll we'll grab all that data on the healthcare side and then cut it a couple different ways and really actually uh, make it really much more uh, interesting and and leverageable for CEOs and investors. And what I mean by that is on the healthcare side, you know you might have something that's that's figured out it's a device company. And maybe it says cardiovascular in the, core, in the description of the company on PitchBook and you can do some searches around that. But there are a lot of other companies that are device companies that maybe it doesn't have that cardiovascular in the descriptor. So we'll actually go and open up and look at every single one of those companies, go to their website and really understand, you know, what is the focus of this company? And I think doing that extra cut, one, make sure that the data that we create is really actionable. And two, you know, especially if you have you know, a cardiovascular company or an ophthalmology company and you're like, Oh, well, what are the companies that have been funded around this, uh, in this area around this time with what investors? Yeah, we have a lot of that background data that's really actionable. And so that's kind of on the investor side, we cut things a lot of different ways. And that's how we sort of get our investor rankings, et cetera. And on the exit side, it's really. You know, we're just combing through all the press releases that we see out there. Um, you know, there are deals now that are that are undisclosed, and to the extent we have conversations and we sort of figure out what that what that number is in a in a generic sort of way, and we can use that to help calculate medians. Um, you know, that's a very important part for the industry too. As you know, there's a lot of medical device uh, M&A activity where the the deals have been undisclosed, but the exits have been very good. And so we try and capture that data and sort of keep it confidential within you know within our database to help generate median numbers that are really helpful for the industry. So on the investment side, it's really leveraging the pitch book data. and on the exits and IPO side, we really sort of collect that data ourselves. We have a, a very uh, a focused team of of two and a half to three people that work on this. and then it and then it's really trying to understand, you know once we do these data polls and categorize the data, you know, what are the trends that are sort of bubbling to the surface? And then what might we want to deep, deep dive on to see if uh, to see what's happening? And so that's kind of how we put the put the paper together.
0: So what is the earliest the profile of the earliest stage company you would have in your report? Has it received some venture mo- money or could it be so? Angel? Yeah.
1: So in 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 series A, um, we do an analysis. And, you know, there's just so many investments um, that happen that are very small uh, deal size, that we have to figure out a way of doing that where we can have two and a half people doing these, doing that data collection and come up with something that's repeatable. So my definition on Series A is any deal that has raised at least $2 million in funding. So that could certainly be an angel deal. Um, or if if within PitchBook, they don't have the dollar amount, but there's an institutional investor or a corporate venture investor that's involved in the syndicate we call that a Series A deal as well. So um, there certainly could be deals that are, you know, um, a five hundred thousand dollars seed round by a venture firm that we would characterize as Series A, or if it, it's an unknown investors, individual investors, and they raise, you know, two point one million or two million uh, and one dollar, you know, we include that as a Series A deal. So a lot of early stage stuff does get uh, put into our database, and then we again sectorize and and look at indications and try and figure out where where the activity is.
0: In, in the sectors in your report, you've got biopharma, you've got med tech, and you've got uh, diagnostic and, and basically tools, correct?
1: Correct. Yep. And I think, you know, everyone talks about digital health, and I think that's a super important area. And I think, you know, digital health actually, you know, it starts to creep into all those different sectors. And to the extent that we can we've done some analysis on that we have, we haven't done a deep dive sort of exit analysis like we have on, on the paper that we're talking about today. But you know hopefully down the road a little bit, we'll be able to have a deep dive on the digital health side because I know you know we get a lot of folks coming in asking us uh, about trying to do a report like that that goes into into detail. But for now, um, you know, we're very interested in monitoring and working with a lot of digital health companies, but we just don't quite have our arms around creating a report around it yet, but stay tuned. That, that could be uh, the next, the next thing that we come out
0: with. Let's take a quick break from this conversation. John Norris does so much with his 10 minutes on the stage at the MedTech conference. He delivers the most comprehensive report on life sciences. And he'll be, uh, as he said, in the podcast, he'll be tracking the uh, investments, regional investments, seeing uh, who comes out on top, or I guess who comes in second after uh, California. Anyway, we're giving other folks an opportunity to get some time on stage. We're readjusting the program, I think, in a very cool way, a very exciting way. So if you have any interest in finding out more about sponsorship opportunities at the MedTech Conference, please reach out to my colleague, Maureen Linneman. Her email is easy to remember, maureen at healthag.com. That is the word health followed by letters E-G-Y dot com. Maureen will be able to tell you the various options we have for folks who want to work with us to put together the best MedTech conference there is. Now back to this conversation. Uh, so let's get into the findings. Uh, and we'll start off with, uh, with your opening page. And I'm not going to go through this page by page, but this is where the, some of the bullet points are. And we'll talk about fun, fundraising. Uh, this was for venture fundraising. So you said it set a record at $9.1 billion dollars. Twenty six percent increase over two thousand and sixteen. There's there's in surpassing the two thousand fifteen record of seven point five billion. There's a lot of biopharma in here. So we'll will how much of that of that is biopharma and how much of that is is device because we'll talk about the device part on this podcast.
1: Yeah, um, you know it's it, it's a great question and and that is really an analysis at some point we're going to do where we try and use our best best guess as to how a fund will deploy that capital by sector. Um, but you know, right now we don't have that number, um, at, available, but I will say when you do look at the funds that have raised, it is very heavily concentrated on biopharma. And I think the majority of the firms that I've seen are, are ones that are either doing all biopharma or a significant percentage of their dollars are being allocated to biopharma when you are thinking about your traditional venture firms. And that's really what this number is. So this is actually a pretty small, well, it's, it's a, or, well, let me back up. It won't, it's, this is not an inclusive number because you have all the uh, corporate venture firms that are not included in this fundraising number because they have a dedicated amount of capital that's sort of given to them on a yearly basis or, or multiple year to put to work, and that's not calculated as a as a fundraise per se. And then you have uh, family offices and other and other folks that are putting money to work, and then you have these crossover investors that are also investing into into venture back companies. So the So the 9.1 billion number is actually kind of low. But when you think about it, I would say maybe 70%, um, 60 to 70% is going to be focused in biopharma. And then you have uh, a significant portion where we're seeing a lot of activity on the DX tool side with liquid biopsy and NGS technology and, and and less on the traditional venture side in device. Although I will say that it feels like that has started to shift back. I think when you think about, you know, five, six years ago, there really was a, a major decrease in traditional venture funding of device companies. And I think that's really related to when you think about over the last decade plus, there were firms that were, that were thinking, you know, based on good data and a pivotal trial, they were going to get acquired. And what happened was the acquirers weren't, weren't biting. And so what ended up needing to happen was those companies then had to get approval then they had to raise a commercialization round. Then they had to get reimbursement. Then they had to ramp to a revenue run rate that you know, got you close to being a cash flow break even company. And then the acquirers would, would bite. And so you saw a significant lengthening of time and much more capital required to get those companies to the exit values that continued to be fairly stable. And so that was really a bite to a lot of the traditional device venture investors that they weren't expecting. And so because of that, you did see sort of some firms go away as well as some firms sort of retract and look to other sectors that were performing better at the time, including biotech, where a lot of the capital went. And so I think, you know, we did see quite a a significant number of, of the traditional venture firms, you know, shying away from device. But over the last year or so, we're starting to see those firms come back, and maybe we can talk about that as we go through some of the some of the slides in the report. Well,
0: that's actually where I wanted to go next. Let, let's talk about that trend. So, with with traditional VCs, what type of uh, entities are are you describing in that?
1: Yeah, and so yeah, this really sort of goes to to the slide where I'm starting to look at who are the top investors in the device sector, and it was it was interesting. You know, over the last couple of years, we saw, you know. Angel groups like Caritsu Forum and Green Parks and Golf, which is out of Texas, and these are sort of angel groups, and they were actually doing the most deals. And frankly, they were banding together their their members and doing deals over two million, so they qualify as Series A um, or or other rounds. and And they were really dominating the the sector. And you continue to see some investment by your your corporate folks, but it was corporate and angel, and then. You know, some one-offs like family offices, like KCK coming in. And, and really, they were the ones that you started to see as the leaders. And But it's been very interesting. So over the 2015-16 timeframe, I looked at that two-year period for investment and saw how many traditional venture firms did at least four deals. And that number was three. There were only three traditional VC firms that did four or more deals during that two-year time period. But then you add in 2017 and you look at 2016-17 as a two-year period, there were nine traditional venture firms that did at least four plus deals. So you are seeing these firms starting to come back into the market and do deals. And it, it remains to be seen, you know, to really deep dive and see, well, are these early stage deals? Are there later stage deals? I think, you know, the answer is there's both. But um, it is nice to see your traditional venture folks starting to get back into, into device investing. And I think there are some, some major trends, some major um, tailwinds that are helping uh, focus these folks back in the device sector. Uh, and I, I know we'll get to that as well.
0: Well, let's get into that right now. What do you, what do you think is drawing them back?
1: You know, to me, when I look at, at where the exit activity is, it's been really stable over the last few years in terms of the number of M&A deals and the upfront deal values. But the trend that we're seeing is that we're seeing more and more deals that were not FDA approved that were getting acquired. So these are companies with either a CE mark and maybe a little bit of revenue traction, sometimes significant revenue traction, but no, no FDA approval, maybe a pivotal trial in, in, in progress or at least understanding what the, that pivotal trial looks like would get acquired or just development stage companies that have some initial clinical data that are getting snapped up. And, and we think that that trend is pretty interesting. I think that when you start to see earlier stage exits, you know, that's, that's good for everybody. Um, and, it, and, and so what we tried to do is, is dissect that a little bit because it's, just, it's great to say, okay, well, there's some earlier stage device exits happening, but what does that mean? And is it, is it just related to indications? Is it like, you know, the mitral valve you know, swell that we saw in 2015. Is that what's really um, pushing things, or is it something else? And I think once we started to really deep dive into those exits, what came out was that really, and and I guess it shouldn't be that much of a surprise, was that the better performing deals were companies that were pursuing PMA or de novo 510k pathways. You know, companies that are, have innovative technologies that require some sort of clinical trial. Right. And so it's not a surprise that those deal values were bigger and maybe multiple on capital was a little bit better, which, you know, I, I think you could probably make a case for just saying, okay, you know, bigger market, they should command a better, better dollar amount. But what was really interesting to me is when you actually compared, you know, five ten K deals on their own versus the PMA de novo the number of exits in the last three years were about the same. There were 25 exits, at least $50 million up front for 510 k deals, which are sort of your iterative, you know, one-off products, and 23 of the 25 received, had, were already FDA approved deals. So these are sort of later stage companies that are proving out their revenue and, and then getting acquired. But on the PMA de novo side, there were 21 deals and 19 of them actually were required before FDA approval. So we are seeing earlier acquisition. And so that just, what it does is it saves that commercialization round, and it also saves a significant amount of time to exit. And that's really where it was really intriguing for us to see this trend, where 510K companies were taking, as a median time to exit from the close of Series A, nine years to get from close of Series A to exit. And PMA de novo, which typically have these long clinical trials, et cetera, and you would think they would take a long time to get to exit, actually we're almost half that time. The median time to exit was 5.5 years. And so if you're getting a quicker time to exit, a better upfront median deal value, and a median upfront multiple of, of 4.3x on dollars invested, those are all really intriguing data points. And when you think about as an investor and you think about as a CEO – you know, you're going for an innovative indication, you have a track record of, of seeing these exits happen quicker and better um over the last three years, you know, that's spurring investment into the sector. And so I think that is the, the kind of thing that we really try and look at is to try and unearth where where we're seeing these these uh these trends emerging. And, you know, when we saw this in 2015, it was like, okay, you had these microvalve deals that were all early stage and they all got acquired for good, good multiples. Would this trend continue? And then, as you see now, we have three-year data and the trend has continued. And, in fact, one of the most interesting things that I saw was if you compare the innovative device deals, again, PMA de novo pathway deals with what we saw in biopharma m and the median upfront in PMA de novo was actually bigger it, the median upfront was 225 million dollars upfront the median for biotech was 200 million so less and the median upfront multiple and capital invested for PMA de novo was 4.3 X and for biopharma is 4.2 X so you know this is these are all sort of good metrics for uh, investors as well as, as as companies to look at you know we're actually in the device sector for the, the innovative Devices, we're actually outperforming what we see in biotech, and that is that's really uh, a powerful statement to make. Because you know, when you think about where returns have been over the last four to five years, you know, biopharma really has dominated the exit landscape, right? So, to see these emerging trends is really uh, it's really good news for the
0: sector. I wonder what's driving the the move to earlier stage acquisitions. Uh, as you mentioned, they're. The- well, we've seen a consolidation of the space amongst the, the larger MedTech players. You mentioned in your report that, that Medtronic was actually absent, I think, last year in, in making acquisitions, which, you know, is taking, <laughs> it's taking your, your star player off uh, putting them on the bench. I mean, that's, that's remarkable that we're able to keep pace. Is there a corollary, do you think, between the corporate investments that have been made in companies and the earlier stage acquisitions, or is there something else at work? Yeah,
1: you know, I, I think that, that that could be an emerging trend, and, and you're right. Yeah, you know, Medtronic being out of that list is really, um, really puts puts a uh, yeah made it made it a really tough uh, sector to to think that they were going to do well over the last three years, even though they have, because frankly. You know, with Medtronic and Covidian, they were number one and two over the last decade in number of venture back acquisitions. And then they banded together and then they got quiet. Um, but we have seen other firms like J&J in Boston sort of uh, become more active. And you know, I, th- I think there is something to be said for um, hearing that the corporates are sort of looking at, at biotech and almost these build-to-buy opportunities and saying, hey, maybe we should be doing that in areas that we really want to you know, strengthen up or white white spaces that we want to get into by investing into these companies, following them along, and look for opportunities to to take them out. But I mean, I do think you know one of the the benefits of a reduced number of Series A companies that we've seen in device, especially versus what we saw in biotech and tools and diagnostics, means that there's 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 less less companies out there, frankly, and so with less competition you only have a couple of companies instead of 10 of them operating in these really unique, interesting spaces, you know, acquirers got to figure out when they're going to pull the trigger. And I think that's what you're starting to see is that, you know, if you let these companies get too far along, you know, you're going to miss out on your chance to lock them up. And I think that's especially in, in big markets and innovative technologies, that's where you're seeing some of these guys make their plays. Um, Whether that'll continue or not, it's hard to tell. And, you know, you certainly see that more in sort of the cardiovascular and neuro space rather than what you, and you know, the orthopedics, on the other hand, tend to be a little bit more later stage FDA approved type of products because a lot of those are 510K pathway type deals. But um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see if this trend continues because, one, we are seeing more investors on the traditional VC side starting to to get involved. and And I think more than anything, we're seeing, you know, that growth, capital opportunity and device there's a lot of capital out there especially with firms like kkr um, that have this dedicated healthcare sort of you know growth venture fund that they're deploying um and and you have family offices like kck being very active in that market and you're seeing you know a lot of the traditional venture guys that that are really interested in funding the commercialization round so yeah you know, the late stage money is there the early stage money it feels like it's increasing um activity level but not to the point where, you know, again, you're, you're overstuffing the market with, with companies. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's just, there's, there's too many offerings for the limited amount of acquirers that you have out there. I think right now the equilibrium feels like it's it's still pretty good. And, um, and, and I'm looking forward for at least another couple of years of really good device investments. And, And we'll see what Medtronic does. We'll see if they come back into the market. And we all talk about sort of, yeah, the flow of money and where that's going and how that's going to affect things. You know, I I, I think there's no negative about more capital coming back into into the coffers of of the acquirers, and we'll see what we'll see what happens.
0: It almost it sounds as if the the correction has taken place. You're right that there are fewer companies out there, and therefore the returns on on investments will go up. There's less, uh, there's more quality companies out there getting getting the capital that is being invested. What were some of the uh, what were some of the spaces that uh, you're seeing g- g- that are receiving the capital from these venture capital firms? What what clinical spaces or technologies are uh, are getting the most attention?
1: We we continue to see cardiovascular getting getting a lot of activity, um, but you know over the last few years we've won. We've sort of seen this non invasive monitoring sector, which you know goes across indications, but it's really you know finding ways to leverage um, data, body, body data in different ways. You know, it started out being more cardiovascular in a sense, but over the last year or so it's, it's moved into, you know, urogyne and neuro and, and respiratory and ophthalmology. Um, and I think that's a really intriguing area, um, that's getting, getting a lot of early stage investment, but you know, where, where I think we're going to see, you know, continuing, uh, exit interest uh, or, or burgeoning exit interest. I really think you know, cardiovascular is always gonna be a very interesting area that will continue to get a good share of exits. But I think in the neuro mod area, we've seen a lot of investment, a lot of interest. And I think drug delivery, which I characterize as, really it's, it's when a company is using an already approved drug, but it's, it's the delivery technology that's the secret sauce. And so I put that more on the device side um, than biopharma, and we saw you know a good IPO in that area um, this this last year. And I think there's going to be a lot of acquirer interest in in finding ways to deliver deliver drugs in a more targeted way. And when you're finding ways to reduce or get rid of of bad side effects, you know that's always a that's always a a benefit in the area where you're going to get lots of interest. So. Uh, on the exit side, you know, neuro and, and drug delivery. On the investment side, you know, cardiovascular, non-invasive monitoring sort of across all sectors are, are areas that we see a lot of investment.
0: Is there Are there one or two points in this uh, report that we haven't talked about yet that you think people should really know about that sort of stuck out with you when you and your team found it and said, wow, this one's really going to resonate with people?
1: You know, I think um, – uh, we sort of went into the the PMA de novo 510K discussion. I mean, I think that's really the the, the biggest one. Um, It is nice to see that uh, Minnesota, in terms of locations, have started to receive some more investment because, you know, that was a major area of investment in the device sector in the last 15, 20 years. And over the last couple, it, it felt like it had dropped off. So to see them you know, having done seven deals in the last two years, that at least I, I looked at from the top 35 investors, they did seven deals in Minnesota. Um, I think that's good. It's great to see them back in the market. And, um, you know, and I also think, you know, Israel continues to be a very interesting area of company creation, and, and a lot of, uh, of interest in continuing investment, as well as as acquire interest in in Israeli companies, I think that's a really interesting trend too. So on the geography side, Minnesota and, and Israel, seeing them continue to to innovate and have and have deals get done in those respective areas are, are interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because of course our conference is in Minneapolis, and uh, there's always that comparison to Massachusetts. And looking at your report, they're uh, they're pretty close: yep. Se- seven deals, two hundred forty-one million in Minneapolis; ten deals, two hundred seventy-eight million in Massachusetts. So uh, so they are neck and neck for sure
1: yep i'll have an updated slide for you for the next at uh, the next conference we'll see we'll see what happens
0: <laughs> i'm i'm gonna be uh, i'm gonna be sweating hopefully boston will still be ahead but i want minneapolis to be right behind uh being a boston guy so looking ahead uh you're you're projecting uh, more investments in uh more venture investments in in uh device companies and and more uh, m and a any of that? Uh, if you, well, let's ask the IPO question. Do you, do, I know you're not a, a banker or or, uh, or an analyst, but do you have any sense of whether we're going to see an opening in that window at all?
1: Yeah, I I, I don't. It, it when I look at things, it it doesn't look like the recipe has changed a lot in order to IPO as a med tech company, which means you know significant revenues with some growth, you know, sort of close to accretive. You know, you did see some one off. Uh, you know, IPOs over the last couple of years of companies that had just gotten FDA approval, but that feels like they're one-off. And so I I do feel like it's a a difficult IPO road out there, Um, but certainly the IPO market is open on the biopharma side. And so it's not as if the whole healthcare IPO market is closed. It's just finding the right recipe. And I think, you know, there could be some more IPOs, but last year there were three that I calculated that we uh, were able to IPO that were venture-backed uh, device companies, and that includes one drug delivery company. You know, it feels like drug delivery is still being seen as more of a biopharma, so they were able to sort of get out um, at a, at an earlier stage. But, you know, there are a number of companies that are ramping revenue right now. And so there are some percolating IPO stories, I think, um, but I, I, I can't see that as, as going, you know, from three deals to 15 deals this year. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's five deals, maybe it's maybe it's more, maybe it's a little bit less. It's hard to tell, but it doesn't feel like the IPO story has changed at all. And it's really a story of having to prove out, um, you know, commercial success. And so that's that's a really high bar, especially you know, balancing that against what you see in biopharma.
0: And, and final question: If you're uh, if you're at our uh, our cocktail party at the MedTech conference, and, uh, and a startup CEO comes to you and asks for advice about raising capital from uh, from vcs what you know what's the right formula to for that what kind of uh, advice would you give those folks in terms of, of pitching their story and, and and getting their uh putting their best image of, of their company out there
1: yeah i mean i think um when i when i think about where traditional venture capital is focused it, it feels to me that it's on you know innovative companies in big spaces um but you know, I'm I'm always happy to either have myself or one of my colleagues chat with these early stage companies because we do it all the time. And and the great thing is we have a lot of data to draw from. You know, obviously, you know, having data to draw from doesn't equal you know um, introductions and funding right away to a to a company, but at least it provides context and context to to have a smart idea, uh, a, at least a smart plan of how to interact with potential investors. And for some companies. You know, you're they're going to be too early and it's really going to be an angel, you know, interaction. And, you know, we're happy to give feedback on that side. You know, we love working with companies from angel backed early stage all the way up through venture backed and public. So, you know, it's all those are all of our sort of constituents. And and sometimes, you know, I think, you know, what I can promise is a very honest assessment of, you know, where I think the company is and, and some ideas around, uh, you know, handling their fundraising. Um, I think, you know, in the end, when we do look at the data, we see more traditional VCs coming into the sector, and that's great. Um, And we also see folks, you know, like family offices and angel groups and, you know, the the KKRs of the world having capital to deploy. So, you know, there there is capital out there. Um, And I'm not not saying it's easy to fundraise, but, you know, it, it does feel like the market is better than what we've seen in the last couple of years. And so I would just encourage folks to, feel free to reach out um, to us, you know, that's kind of part of what we do at SVB. You know, we're, yeah you know, we're a commercial bank, but, you know, part of our whole uh, uh, focus is to to try and be a value add partner and to give you, arm you with all the facts and give you some data and give you some advice as to how you want to approach the market. Um, and so that, that would be, that'd be my perspective on the industry. I think one, you know, more traditional VCs, that's good. Um, and two, you know, uh, exits continue to be stable. So, that feels like an environment that will continue to see some pretty decent funding going in.
0: Absolutely. Well, there's there's so much more into this report, and as I said, we'll have uh, the link included with the podcast so people can can find it easily. We barely scratched the surface. Thanks, John, for taking your time. I'm glad you found your way uh, in, into medtech, and uh, we look forward to these reports when they come out. So thanks for uh, giving us a, a picture of the the forest that we can see beyond our trees.
1: Thanks, Tom. It's great to be on. Appreciate it.
0: That is a wrap. John Norris of Silicon Valley Bank. Thank you so much for giving us a wrap up of 2017 and for giving us something to look forward to in 2018. I certainly look forward to seeing you at the MedTech Conference on May 31st. I hope our MedTech Talk podcast listeners will be there as well. Once again, if you want to save a great deal of money, you should register before January 31st. price is only $995 and you'll be uh, attending the best med tech conference that there is. If you'd like to help the podcast, do a few favors for me. Number one, it's really simple. Just uh, shoot me an email, tom at healthogy.com. Healthogy is spelled the word health, followed by letters E-G-Y.com. And, of course, Healthag is the producer of this excellent podcast and the MedTech conference. You can also give us a ranking on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to. It uh, helps other folks find the podcast. Third, of course, tell your friends about the podcast. That's always a great way to do it. And share the podcast on social media. If you uh, found a, a topic that or an interview that you particularly liked, put it on uh, Twitter, put it on LinkedIn. Make sure you tag me. I'm on both. I am at MedTechTom on Twitter. And the podcast is at top. Finally, don't forget to join us on May 31st in Minneapolis at the MedTech Conference. And of course, tune in next week for another great tale of innovation on MedTech Talk.